the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll with your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband Brian is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian discuss current events from a biblical worldview, so we as believers can influence for good in our culture and in the public square. Here is Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Hello, Biblical Citizens. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that uh, we've, we've covered from different aspects in the past, but it continues to be front and center. That's homelessness, which is not only, as we're going to discuss today, a San Diego or a California problem, it's nationwide. And what should the Christian approach be? And are we making bad policy decisions as a state based on damaging myths? We have a real expert with us today, Dr. Robert Marbutt, Jr. He's worked on issues of homelessness for over three decades. He's the founding president of Haven for Hope. He served in the Trump administration as the White House's federal homelessness czar. I think it had a little bit different title, but that was basically it. He's consulted on issues of homelessness with more communities than anyone else in the U.S., and he's worked in three different presidential administrations. And as we talk to him today, he's on a movie set making a movie called No Address, starring Ashante, Billy Baldwin, Xander Berkeley, and Beverly D'Angelo. So welcome, Robert. Good morning, and thank you very much for having me. It's a a special treat for me because as a little kiddo, I grew up in San Diego and uh, went to Kate Sessions Elementary School for five years. That is fantastic. Well, we didn't know that. That's so we're talking to a home, a home product here. Well, what caused you to dedicate basically, I assume your whole professional career to homelessness? started out as a youth group, and we had a tragic, tragic situation. One Sunday morning, a, a person had died outside our church. It was about 20 degrees, which is unusual temperature for San Antonio, Texas, and had been trying to get into the church to, I, I assume, warm up, eat, we don't know. And the pastor came out and said, I had a great sermon planned, but I'm not doing that. We're going to set up a warming shelter where this doesn't happen again. And instead of a traditional, very nice religious service, it almost became a work session, how to get a shelter opened up that night, literally. And so I was in the youth group, and we did our thing, and and, uh, eventually I got very involved as just an average volunteer with our local ministry group. And then I went away to college, came back, went away to grad school, came back, went away, worked on the Hill, came back. I I worked for President Bush before I worked for President Trump. And what I found was every time I came back to San Antonio, sometimes a year, sometimes two, I said, uh, I I see the same people experiencing homeless coming into whatever our service was, shelter, food, whatever. 
And anytime I ask for somebody like, where's Joey, where's Jose, where's Lisa, uh, they, the thing we found was they had passed on. No, nobody was getting out of homelessness. And it just sort of struck me that the only way somebody got out of homelessness was died. And that was just so tragic to me. And I started thinking, what would Peter Drucker do? You know, the famous, I went to the Claremont College right. and he's, you know, famous management systems guy. And then I started going, you know, he, at the, a lot of people don't realize that the last, that toward the end of his life, his last six or seven books were sort of what can nonprofits learn from the business sector? By the way, what can business sector learn from nonprofits? And so a systems approach, measurable metrics, things that in candidly in the faith nonprofit world, not a lot of time is spent on that. It's sort of you grade yourself with good intentions, not necessarily good outcomes. And so I then uh, was very influenced by Max Licato, sort of in the faith, heart, response, come as you are thing. And I started started to think, well, if you put Peter Drucker and Max Licato down for lunch for an hour and he gave them this problem, how, what would their end product be? And it'd be totally different than what we're doing in this country. So that's sort of how I got started on the approach from sort of a volunteer to really let's do this in a very uh, logical, sustainable, scientific way to get great outcomes. That is really interesting. Uh, and did you ever get those two to talk to each other? Or, uh, uh, unfortunately, you... at that point, Peter Drucker had passed on, and so they never did. But I, I, I had spent so much. Max was uh, – I've been blessed. He's been my pastor for 25 years and was my next-door neighbor for 13 years. And so we talked a lot about this issue and such. And, and he he – is part of our study guide that we're doing with the the two movies, the documentary and the movie we're doing. Max talks a lot about let's collaborate. Let rather than compete, let's collaborate. Is community faith and and sadly in some communities, this group competes with that group rather than collaborate. And in your setup, what you know, what should we you know, what should a person of faith's response be to homelessness and 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 collaboration has to be one. Let's work together as the body of Christ rather than a competition of each Absolutely. other. So how do, we're going to talk about the problem of homelessness and some of the myths that are promulgated that stop people from sol- solving it. And one of them is non-collaboration, as you say, and not really understanding the problem of homelessness, correct? Um, but and then we're going to talk about the solutions. But for, for for our listeners to begin, just kind of give us an overall overview of how you approach this from a national problem. And you know, we we talk about it here locally. We have we've discussed this from the state perspective and our San Diego here perspective here, and we've worked with some different groups. We've interviewed them, um, but. Wow, it must be different to do it on a national level, and because there's so many different law, states and laws, and uh, so just kind of give us a brief overview of working under the Trump administration and how you got there uh, to to be. I mean, I mean, I I just I I really applaud your pastor for getting the youth 
involved early on, and that really impacted your life. Take note, pastors, <laughs> of what you know how people get started on their path. Youth programs are so important. But anyway, that's kind of a long question, but go ahead. <laughs> well, Just, I, I think the very first thing we have to do is we need to know exactly what the problem is before we solve it. Yes. Uh, and, and, and again, it's a very Peter Drucker, and it sounds like you all know a little bit about Peter Drucker and systems approach. And I can't tell you how many I've been to more communities uh, than anybody else I've consulted with in more communities than anybody else. And and it's almost I can almost tick that. I mean, if you like join me and we were going to City A today and we were just starting in that community, I'm going to I would say we're going to walk in a meeting. There'll be 10 or 15 people there. And they're going to say they want to solve the problem. And they're going to tell me exactly how they think they need to solve it before we actually understand the scope, the scale and structure of their problem. In other Uh words, we're going into the ER and we're giving you an antibiotic, but we don't know if you're having a stroke, a heart attack, if you've broken a limb, you know, do you have your, you know, are you bleeding out, you know, whatever. And everybody sort of starts with the, the, the answer rather than understanding what the problem is. And so, we at a sit, whether you're in San Diego or La Jolla, or, you know, El Cajon or, or the whole nation, you need to understand what the problem is. And out of the box, nobody even understands that. So when, when a person says, what should we solve on homeless? I say, what time of homeless are we talking about? Yeah. The federal government has 10 different definitions of homelessness in the federal definitions, five at, at the HUD, Department of Housing and Urban Development. Five at Department of Education, and the education one is really guided toward what they're really tracking is children, and they're 1.5 million children, and HUD tracks 1.2 million. That number is significantly increasing, by the way, so it's almost 3 million together. And then a lot of people hear this number, 650,000, uh, which is what the media does. Well, that 650 is underneath the 1.2 million at HUD. And so which one are we talking about? Are we talking about chronic, street, uh, family and children, economic divorce? But what most people in America now talk on homeless is the very visual street-level homeless, like in San Diego, down by the gas lamp, over toward the bridge. And that's that's 650,000, according to the statistics released by the Biden administration just last a few weeks ago, is now at a rate that will double every five years now. And and so we're think about we're at six fifty now. It's at a doubling rate, so it will be about one point three million. And I just mean that street level homeless, which is the people you see on the street, the the very high levels of mental uh, untreated mental illness, high levels of substance abuse, and that's about. Uh, and we know some really good. The biggest study ever done says three-fourths have untreated mental illness and three-fourths have substance abuse issues in that group of 650. And if that group is doubling, think of just what happens in 25 years. Uh, six, 650,000 becomes 1.3, comes 2.6, comes 5.2, it'll be 10.4 in 25 years unless we do something to change that's, this. that's assuming it's not logarithmic and it does, since we're talking math here it, that assumes it doesn't further accelerate which it certainly could and but, why you make i noticed on your i think it was on your website or your background material you said particularly since 2013 so not only since covid 
and you talk about it increasing a lot expected in the future, but why has it been increasing so much in the last, say, 10 years versus maybe prior to that? And a great, this is the core. I mean, you're right. If, if we were to only talk about one issue, this is it. In 2013, uh, before, let, is, is a clear demarcation of policy. And sometimes government policy is good. Sometimes it's nothing. It's like a little bad, a little good. And sometimes it's awful. It makes things worse. And, and we have to be uh, honest with ourselves. And in 2013, the federal government under President uh, Obama's second term, they fundamentally treat, changed how homelessness worked. Pre-2013, in order to get a housing voucher or help that subsidized or indirectly or directly subsidized by the federal government, you had to be part of a treatment program. You, 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 hit, you were allowed to have requirements. You, in fact, we picked the agencies based about how good they were on services. And that might be uh, uh, behavioral health. That might be substance abuse. It might be AA meetings. It might be job training. And they were called wraparound services. And a lot of people don't realize street-level homeless had dropped about 30, I think 31.4% from when President Bush started, we got to do treatment, we got to focus on recovery. Through President Obama's first term, it had dropped. And then in 2013, for a variety of reasons, the harm reduction uh, uh, philosophy, we want to have more money for vouchers. And so they said, we will no longer fund treatment services anymore for people experiencing homeless. And a nonprofit agency who gets federal money can't require treatment services. So, it, it, and, and that's when it changed. And by the way, President Obama announced that he would end homeless in 10 years. Chronic homelessness would end in about five or six. Uh, family would end in about seven. Veteran would end in about eight. I'm, I'm giving you ballpark numbers. And the reason why those are important, those were all pre-COVID. And now you yeah. notice people are blaming uh, homelessness on COVID. COVID is not the blame. It was already at a rate of doubling before COVID. And we got to go back to, 20, you know, how did the gas lamp area, you know, over by the bridge, over by the freeway, up toward La Jolla, how did it look in 2019 pre-COVID? It was bad. Yeah, it was. So, I know it was. And, and so stop blaming it on COVID. Yeah. And uh, stop blaming it on on COVID. We gotta, we gotta, uh, we we have to realize when you stop treating it, how can you get recovery without treatment? And and the, and I think in public, imagine if you did Pell grants, which is the number one way people get funded for college. When you get a government, federal government Pell grant, you have to attend class at least eighty eight point five percent of the time. You have to have successful progression. You can't have less than a 2.0. You finish in three, four, or five years, depending on how your grant is. If we practice Pell Grants the way we are practicing homelessness, we would say, we give you, we'll send you a check every six months. You don't have to go to treatment services. You don't have to go to AA. You don't have to go to job training. You don't have to try to fix yourself. All you, can, you can just keep getting your check if you want. And and you would just keep sending you the check, and there's no requirements to you. We don't do that with Pell Grants. We don't do that with unemployment insurance. You're required to be looking for a job. We don't do that with TANF. But with homelessness, we just say, if you say you're homeless, 
we'll just give you free stuff. And how do we expect, and, and there are no requirements for treatment. You don't have to, in fact, in 2013, they said a faith-based group cannot require treatment requirement. You can't require participation requirements. So they told the Salvation Army, the Rescue Missions, Father Joe Village, whoever it is, you cannot require, have requirements for participation if you get any federal money. This is nuts. And, and it's no wonder we're now at a doubling rate. Absolutely. I mean, you, that just makes, it's common sense. And you're getting at the root cause. You're finding out what is causing this. And, and there's so many myths that this is built on apparently that it's just a it's a material solution you just need to give out more free stuff you don't need to require but that doesn't get at the root cause at all and and as a nurse of course the per- patient comes in the emergency room the analogy that you used you have to diagnose it correctly in order to solve it so this just makes all the sense so some of the myths that we have heard is that homelessness is a hunger problem or that it's just a lack of housing. It's a lack of housing. That's but, what that's what the state of California is totally premised on. Housing first don't require anything else. It's strictly a material problem. These folks need housing. Give them housing. No requirements, just as you say, Robert. And uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the California policy of housing first. And we, we run into that all the time uh, we, Kathleen and I, some years ago, through our church, volunteered for a faith-based group called Solutions for Change, which is still operating, very successful. Very familiar with them. Good group. Good group. But they were cut off from all federal and state funding because, holy cow, they actually required people to undergo drug treatment if they were addicts and job training. And that was verboten. So they were cut off. So is anybody realizing the results of this policy that Obama uh, implemented? I mean, we, we're seeing the growth of homelessness. It Are the Democrats realizing this? This is a bad policy? I mean... It, it's starting to change because we've made it a point. Uh, people in... I don't want to call us a coalition, but there are a lot of like-minded people thinking and going. Uh, we When I heard about Housing First as an idea when I was running for Haven of Hope, I thought it was just insane. I, I like, there's no way you're going to pass this treatment. And here's a, a pass this policy, because they're saying you're going to get success and recovery by having no treatment. We're, we're going to fix you by just giving you free stuff. And we know through socialism that doesn't work. It, it just doesn't work. But when you give treatment. It makes it worse. It, yeah. It, it, yeah, it actually makes it worse. So I didn't think it ever worked on the first time. So when I came out against it so forcefully, I was everything from a racist to a bigot to you don't know what's going on to you name it. I got called. Um, you know, I got uh, it, it was just incredible how vicious the attacks were. Well, last year, homeless was supposed to end, according to President Obama and all the people who supported it. Not only did it not end, it, some parts of homelessness has doubled. Some has tripled. Even though we've tripled the amount of funding during that period, homeless has gone up two or three times. And again, it depends on those ten, which 10 categories you want to talk about. And I, I wasn't surprised at all. But I will tell you, there are a lot of um, mayors, city managers who bought into homeless uh, housing uh, first because, you know, they thought that's how you got federal money and such. 
And what you're finding is it made things worse. There's no city doing better because they adopted housing first. There's not. And, and, and you're putting somebody on a lifetime subsidy, which I don't think is healthy for a community because you can't afford that over time. And it's not healthy for the person, most importantly, individually. What's, it, what's important is to get at the root causes, and it's not the house. People lost the house because they couldn't afford to pay the money. Why did they do that? They lost their job. Why did they lose their job? Uh, they didn't attend. They started showing up late. They took off. Why did they do that? It's almost always at the, in that 650,000 group, not the other categories, but that 650, the street level, it's almost always untreated mental illness and substance abuse. Yep. And Ro- they Robert, I hold the job. Robert, I want to. We only have a few minutes left, and I want to. I think we've gotten a really illuminated further on what the what the issues are. I, I want you to give a little, give you a little time to talk about your no address study guide. Uh, I think it's intended for churches, but particularly, I wanted to ask you about one of the chapters, which I think says a lot in only three words. The three words are engage don't enable. So I think we've talked already about not enabling. What can we do, especially as people of faith, to engage? Or what, you know, what can we do? You, I assume you cover that those types of things in your workbook. It, absolutely. And we, we have great, I have great co-authors from the National Commissioner of Salvation Army to the former head of CityGate Rescue Network to some local people who really have done this. And all 10 of us in some form or another, talk about the key to engagement. And engagement is, we love you so much. We call it come as you are. Come as you are. We love you so much, but we love you too much to allow you to stay that way. And I think that's very biblical. I mean, you can go to many passages of Scripture that says God loves you so much. He wants you as you are, but he will do everything he can not to let you stay that way. And so Mm -hmm. engagement means let's get you into a treatment program. Let's get you to the Salvation Army. Let's get you to uh, solutions. Let's get you to a rescue mission. But don't let you sit at a park bench and don't just keep feeding you hamburgers at a park bench and you stay right there and you don't come and get treatment. Uh, Get money out. And I know I get, oh, do I get clobbered for this one? Don't give money out a window. Give money to a great working organization. And I'm not saying don't help. I'm saying help smartly. Help with your heart and your brain. Give money to a great operation. Don't give money out the window. Because if you give out money out the window, about every time we've looked at it, it's well over 90% is either alcohol, drugs, or prostitution. So think of it another way. If you saw somebody who was an addict on a street corner, and you wanted to help them, would you go up and give them a nickel bag of Coke or, you know, some meth? You would never do that. Nobody would ever do that. But that's what you're doing by giving cash out the window. That is very helpful. I'm going to use that. I'm going to to quote that statistic that you just provided because that is – not surprising, but it's very sobering. Well, and it just points to the fact that homelessness so often is a spiritual problem. It's a a lack of community. It's a lack of being connected. It's a, it's a sense of hopelessness. It's a sense of meaninglessness that people lose their purpose. And, and churches are, they should be well positioned or they should be the people that are most able to help with that. 
tell the truth, you know, give them the truth, give, give them meaning in life, help them to f- refine what it is that they were born to do and to, and the people that need to support them. So, yeah, we just have talked about that with others that are dealing with this, that it's not just a material problem. It is an, a mental, emotional, spiritual problem. That uh, So we, we applaud you for coming at it from that viewpoint. And um, So, Robert, let's... Um Let's wrap this up. I give give our listeners. I think your interactive study guide, as I read, is coming out in March. So tell us what you have coming, and tell us how people can get a hold of these materials or contact you. So literally, we're on set doing the, the final. This is our last day of shooting. It's sort of interesting. We we're doing this today because this is our last day of shooting for the movie. And we have five things that are all interconnected. So we have a traditional theatrical movie release, Ashanti, Billy Baldwin, uh, uh, Beverly D'Angelo. So that's the movie, and that's about to raise general awareness, a call to action to come. We also have a documentary coming out probably May-ish time frame. And the documentary is very, for the policy wants, you know, if you're a mayor, if you're a city manager, if you're a pastor at church, that's your thing. And that's going to be, what do we need to do to change government policy? And the study guide is, what should the community of faith do to make changes to go? And, and it's, it's so important to understand that the community of faith, for 150 years, led the way on homelessness. And we were doing pretty well, not perfect, but we we're much better off than we were. And the federal government didn't get into this till 1987. They're a latecomer, and they and ruined they what we were doing. <laughs> but anyway, we yeah. we we got yeah. it. you hear the music playing in the background. That that's our signal. We need to we need to have you on again. Absolutely, this has been really stimulating. Thank you so much. Yeah, we applaud you for your work, and we thank you for being our guest. To bless your neighbor, look for the workbook, no address, and the other documentary coming out other valuable tools till next week biblical citizens let's roll and let's help with this problem of homelessness join us next saturday at noon for biblical citizen let's roll your hosts brian and kathleen melanakis seek to educate and activate christians at a grassroots level helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good next week we will cover another major news happening from the view of the biblical citizen Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.